Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chen. And I'm Sarah Watt. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. This month, we are discussing Jungle Cruise, which, after some delays due to COVID, came out this year, and Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, which came out in 2003. The connection being, they are both Disney films based on Disney theme park rides. And I would say, in a similar theme of action-adventure, big-picture extravaganzas. It's worth saying that we are recording today's episode via, um, well, virtually, we are all in our own homes uh, because New Zealand has returned to a level four lockdown, which means that Sarah, William and I cannot see each other in person, uh, but we get to enjoy each other's presence online. And I'll also say that today's episode will be filled with spoilers. So if you haven't seen either the Pirates of the Caribbean film or series, uh, or Jungle Cruise, I would suggest pausing this episode and coming back to it at a future date. Great. I'm going to start off with uh, William. Would you like to talk to us about Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl? Of course, Jeremy. So Pirates of the Caribbean, the Curse of the Black Pearl, was a movie that came out in 2003, directed by Gore Verbinski, which we've covered on this program before. Um, and it is a Disney theme park ride brought to life in one of those weird periods where everything was was ripe for the taking. This is when we had the Country Bears. This is when we had the Haunted Mansion. And this is when we have Pirates of the Caribbean. However, unlike the other two aforementioned horrific movies, Pirates of the Caribbean is actually really good. It, um, it brought back the pirate genre after being cursed for so long by movies such as Cutthroat Island, which were huge box office bombs. And it features the likes of Johnny Depp, Orlando Bloom, Kira Knightley, and the almighty Jeffrey Rush as pirates of the Caribbean. There's cursed Aztec gold, there's love, there's betrayal, there's comedy, everything you would want in a Disney blockbuster circa 2003. Excellent. Thank you, William. And Sarah, let's hear a little bit about this film, Jungle Cruise. Okay, so fast forward to approximately 2020 for release in 2021, and another Disney ride is plumbed for its depths. This one is Jungle Cruise, in which uh, Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson head up the Amazon uh, aboard a boisterously entertaining, hilarious, family-friendly, and certainly, in my opinion, romantic action-adventure. Now, this delightfully old-school tale begins in World War I London, as Emily Blunt's botanist, Dr. Lily Houghton, employs her under- or unacademic brother, McGregor, played by the brilliantly funny Jack Whitehall, as a mouthpiece to get her groundbreaking ideas across to a men-only society of scientists. They concoct a plan to find the mythical tree of life and intrepid Lily drags her unwilling brother to Brazil, where Dwayne Johnson's riverboat captain, Frank, reluctantly agrees to ferry them into deadly territory. They encounter various baddies. We'll talk about those baddies in due course uh, and a little bit of CGI, um, there's some <laughs> CGI wizardry reminiscent of the pirate films. There's an amazing score by James Newton Howard and a certain metal band, and the rest we shall discuss shortly. Excellent. Thank you, Sarah. Well, I'm I'm keen to throw it back to, to either of you, William or Sarah. Who would like to jump in and start us off with one of these films? Pick me! <laughs> I loved Jungle Cruise. I vaguely remembered Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean. I think I thought it was good at the time. I'm pretty sure I did think it was good at the time. I had zero expectations for Jungle Cruise. I think I'd seen the trailer and it was unimpressive. Um, I love Emily Blunt, but you know, Dwayne um, may be good for some things and not others. Who knows? I loved the film so hard and I found it exhilarating and exciting 
and fresh. And I thought that the chemistry between the two leads was unexpectedly amazing. And so and I hadn't drunk any sort of Kool-Aid or any sort of, um, if you will, atmosphere accelerant uh, before seeing the film. (laughs) So I don't know. That must clearly mean that it's actually as good as I think it is. Awesome. No, anyone? (laughs) I'm just Uh, waiting for the... (laughs) But, uh, so so yeah, um, I I was very, very lucky to be invited along by Sarah as her plus one for the, I guess it was the premiere, was it? Yeah, it was. The New Zealand premiere for Jungle Cruise at Newmarket. Um, And it was was a really, like, really interesting experience watching this movie. I, I think I started off really digging it. Um, but the more I watched, the more kind of rubbed me the wrong way in all these little ways, which maybe we'll talk about later. But I think the, the biggest one of these little ways was that it just at the back of my head really reminded me of a little film called Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Really? <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. I, and then thinking back, like after going home, kind of mulling over over my thoughts, I, I started, you know, coalescing the, these 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 ideas these opinions saying thinking oh my gosh so much of this movie is just pirates of the caribbean um just done in a way that doesn't appeal to me as much and we'll talk about that later on but there's there's some there's certain things that jungle cruise does really well but i find there's certain things which it it genuinely just apes the earlier movie and not in a way that i feel is incredibly creative or new like it's it's not adding that much to the Disney blockbuster adaptation of theme park ride stew that pirates really kickstarted, in my opinion. Wow. Jeremy, bring it home, because I don't know what you thought of it. I had such a good time in this movie, and I'm a sucker for this style of adventure film anyway. So I've I've loved every Pirates of the Caribbean film bar the last one, the fifth one, um, which even that's unpopular in terms of loving the fourth film, but I really love the fourth Pirates film. Or, or, or loving the second and the third. <laughs> uh, I, I'm such a fan of the second. I mean, the second, look. The first film is the best movie, uh, you know, hands down, it's the best film. Mm. Uh, and it is the one that I have watched the most. But I love that second film. Bill Nye as Davy Jones is one of the greatest villains of mm. cinema, in my opinion. Uh, I really love the sequence on the wheel at the end. That in the cinema was so exciting. Uh, when I think back on the problematic depiction of the native um, tribal people on the, on the island, that's problematic. But I did enjoy that sequence when I first saw it. Um, so yeah, so I went into this Jungle Cruise film expecting exactly what you've just described, William. When I saw the trailer, I thought, ha, this is this has got all of the elements of the Pirates of the Caribbean, but it's not Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> I mean, down to the villains that are sort of CGI amalgams of other mm. materials. Because, of course, in the second Pirates film, you have the uh, fish, the mm. fish people. In the first one, it's the skeletons. In the third one... Um, I guess you've got uh, Calypso, is that her name? And she, yeah. she's made up of crabs. Uh, and the fourth one, there are these weird zombies that that don't really um, don't really need to be there, as well as the mermaids. Uh, and then the fifth one, you've got... Um, the the uh, g- 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 ghosts. Yeah, and who's the main baddie in that? It's, is it, uh, it's not Benicio Del Toro. It's, it's um, Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem. He's, he's kind of half half dissipating into the into the air. So I was I was already aware of the copycatness of this. And I guess based on Johnny Depp's um, recent uh, troubles with his, with his ex-wife and uh, he's now I now see he's just um, launched a defamation case against is it Amber Heard was it yes. they've gone through a messy divorce yes. um, with with allegations of physical abuse I think on both sides of the game. Yes. Um, and, and him losing his jobs, you know, he lost it. He's lost his role in um, in the Harry Potter sequels. Uh, what are they called? Fantastic Beasts. And uh, so, I, I mean, there's a lot of things about the Pirates series that you, I do feel like they've done their dash, they've done their time. But there was definitely a gap in the market for something like Jungle Cruise to come along. So I went with a group of family members um, and uh, my boyfriend, and we went along to uh, the cinema, and it was with. 
uh, my family members who have just come back from Africa, they've just come here from Africa, and they uh, have been in quarantine for, for 12 weeks. They don't have a cinema in the Do community. Do you mean 12 weeks? Uh, no, I don't mean 12 weeks. I mean two weeks. Uh, but it may as well be 12 weeks with, yeah. with, with, uh, with how long they've been in various forms of that as they've come through. Um, but they, had, they, don't, they don't have a cinema in their community back in Africa. And so the two boys, so one's five and one's 11, this was um, a significant cinema experience. Um, oh, wow. It was it was with my yeah, as I say, my boyfriend, my brother and his girlfriend, and then their family. So there was there was an excitement, and I think it, it meant that I was watching that film through the eyes of um, these little these boys who yeah you know it was a really exciting cinema experience. These deprived so, people, people deprived of cinematic experience for a long time as well. Yeah. It's extraordinary. Yeah, well, I mean, the the youngest one, when we went into the foyer of Newmarket, which is where we saw it as well, uh, and there's the promotional screen up on the wall playing the trailers. The little one said, is that the movie? Like, thinking mm -hmm. that we were going to stand around and watch that screen. Um, but no, I, cool. I, I had a great time. I, um, I have a lot of positive things to say about this film. Was it by the numbers? Yeah. Do I agree with William's point that it's a, pretty much a facsimile of the first Pirates film, but just changing the dressing? Yes. In fact, if you think about it as being a, a, a Disney ride, imagine if they took the um, what do they call those what do they call the animated moving things? The animatronic. Animatronics. Uh, yeah. Imagine if they took the skeletons of that and then redressed them from pirates into <laughs> a Jungle Cruise theme. You'd probably get the same thing. Um, yeah, but that's that's where I'm at with this movie. And and um, I hear both of you and. And my my I guess my initial thought is, yeah, you're right. There are all these sort of uh, CGI creepy baddies that are concocted of uh, or that are what is it like built of uh, strange beings and whatnot. Uh, and I kind of like the fact that Jungle Cruise actually is taking that motif uh, and has run with it. And I thought definitely the way that they were depicted in a in a really I thought the CGI was terrific, uh, the, particularly the bees fellow made of honey and bees. But in yeah. a way, I don't mind at all that they just sort of, uh, as I say, took that motif and, and ran with it because. I feel is, I mean, my biggest, biggest point of comparison between the two films, and I think this speaks largely to 2003 versus 2021, for argument's sake, is the, the pacing. And the curious thing for me on this point is not the pacing in terms of plot and story and everything, because that they both both films move a pace. But what's really marked when you go back, you watch Jungle Cruise, yeah, and you go back and rewatch Pirates of the Caribbean, is it's such a more languid film. The shots are longer, the people take their time with their dialogue that often felt to me kind of improvised just because some things landed nicely and others felt a bit self-indulgent, particularly with Dear Johnny. And I just thought, my gosh, I'm enjoying it because I like watching two really supporting characters with British accents who are playing soldiers or guards <laughs> or whatever, having witty sort of um, dafty sort of chats with each other. But this is a different type of film from what we get nowadays, where everything is cut uh, as in edited within an inch of its life, isn't it? The shots are like boom, 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 boom all the time now. That's so interesting you say that, Sarah, because I, I, I kind of agree and I don't agree. Like, I, I agree uh, with, with your point in that the pirate, well, I agree with your point that the first Pirates movie is strangely languid in places. Mm. I, I finished rewatching it last night. Now, I, I've seen this movie so many times. It was one of my, my favorite DVDs back in the day. Oh, the, the age of DVDs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was this movie and Transformers 1 from Michael Bay. And The Incredibles. So what is that? This is 2003. Transformers is 2007. And uh, uh, 2004. Uh, 2004 was incredible. So, so kind of like this heyday of DVDs and mm. special features and you know, menus that were animated. So I saw these movies so many times. And, um, and re-watching it, there are some things that really pop up in Pirates 1 where you're like, this actually feels kind of dated. Um, yes. the, the pacing for one. Like, yeah, the the Nodor soldiers and the uh, the funny pirates, you know, Gareth Keenan from The Office and the other guy. Like, they're entertaining, but 
the bits just go on and on. Yes, and don't on. they though? Yes. <laughs> and I found that Je- um, Johnny, I, I thought also, who was so heralded for that role that he got a Best Actor nomination at the at the Blumen Oscars. Um, and I'm not deriding him at all. I think I still think it's a terrific role and a terrific terrific character. But looking at him now, my gosh, he just feels like a pantomime. And like he is overacting and he's like winking at the camera and he's doing and to make it worse, when I rewatched Pirates, I watched it on a massive 4K television that had motion smoothing turned on. And it was horrible because it felt a little bit like that um, 48 frames per second uh, feeling. You know what I mean? And so I felt like I was watching Johnny Depp really up close overacting. So then. Yeah, it was gross. And so actually then I rewatched because we've got Disney Plus, um, re-rewatched uh, a little bit of Pirates of the Caribbean just to watch it not smoothed. And thankfully, he sort of goes back into the goes back into the screen, if you know what I mean, and um, still feels quite performative. Johnny Depp coming at you. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? Like like in quite a um, sort of an arrogant scenery chewing sort of way. I, I really enjoyed his scenery chewing this time. Yeah. around. I think. Especially, it's great that he and Jeffrey Rush basically hammered up to the nth degree because the other characters are so boring. Like Will and Elizabeth, I don't mm. care about their romance. And I, I like that the film kind of plays up the fact that they're both kind of not very well cut, well thought out leads. Like there's a mm. lot of jokes at Orlando Bloom's expense that he's just he's just this handsome do-gooder that everyone makes fun of. And there's a lot of jokes at Elizabeth Swong, um, Kira Knightley's expense. Like, she's just the the, the plucky, you know, get it girl. Mm. Um, like, the film knows that they're not the selling points and gives, like, most of the screen time and all the energy to the two antagonistic pirates, which is heaps of fun. And I think it, it really saves the movie in the end because uh, Jeffrey Rush and Johnny Depp are such a breath of life when they yes. come into the movie all the time. Um, and they outact everyone and they do so with, with such bombast that um they in my opinion they carry they and the score like carry this movie yes that's true i would agree 100 percent. what do you reckon i i I feel that uh like i hear what you guys are saying i just you know i love i love this what i love about pirates caribbean films uh particularly gore verbinski's three is the there is a there is a definitely an indulgent quality to these movies and it tips more and more into the space of indulgentness in the sequels but i there is there is some magic in those moments that come out of that improvisation and and whilst uh, you're you're criticizing it for being dated in parts and potentially languid in parts which i don't disagree with i like i think about i think about the moment in the third film where there are three three um characters uh either side on a sandbank and it's a spaghetti western moment and this that film by the way they started making before they had a script and it's very clear because the <laughs> middle half an hour makes no sense but the that moment where they're, they're standing on the sand barge and um it's the spaghetti western moment like is fully gore verbinski just having a great time um and the music hans zimmer's music in that moment is incredible harking back to Ennio morricone um from the sergio leone films mm. um that's such it's such a joy to watch that. Or, or I think about um, the the absurd o- sequence in that movie as well, where they go to the afterlife and they they go they go off the edge of the earth. Maybe that's where flat earthers came from. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. Um, they go off the edge of the earth in that movie and um, and end up in this weird desert with uh, crabs and and you know, multiple Jack Sparrows. It's just so. There's just a sense of play about these movies that whilst I hear you, Sarah, about the choppiness of these modern films, I miss that sense of play that seems mm. to have been kind of commercialised out of, of our blockbusters. Espe- and we've talked about this before, especially with the Marvel films, how well constructed they are in terms yeah. of their pace. But overproduced, maybe, kind of. It's like because, auto-tune. auto-tune yeah, and I... I, I I, I like what you say, because if you've got talented people and say what you like about Johnny Depp personally, I do think he's extremely talented and as a character actor. And of course, Jeffrey rushes as well. Um, yeah. Letting those two guys play uh, and then taking the best bits of it, because I don't know if you know, but you probably do that. The first Pirates of the Caribbean had uh, a modicum of a script, but they um, but Verbinski 
employed the screenwriter, two screenwriters to be on set as well. And it was sort yeah. of a it was being created as they went to a large degree. Am I right? Yeah, the um, uh, well, Elliot and Rossio, the two screenwriters, have been working, I guess, on the um, the movie adaptation of Curse of Monkey Island. Do you guys remember that game? Was a, were they a, really? Were they yeah, really it was a LucasArts property that they were trying to get to, made into a movie. And so much of Monkey Island is in the first Pirates. Like, it's, it's yeah, basically right. the same characters, just, you know, their names have changed. Um, and it, it it leads to a lot of gonzo fun that you wouldn't expect in the Disney movie. Like, yeah. this movie is is weird. It is funny in the wrong ways. Like, you know, Johnny Depp is drunk all the time. And I, I remember reading tales of Disney execs just being being really, really nervous. Like, this is this is our leading man. Yeah. Um, and and the the action is really violent in places like you, you get to see multiple soldiers get their throats slit. yes um, i know just that. off screen but yeah really really intense i, I mean apparently it was the first it was the, the first disney movie to get a pg-13 rating and for good measure like it's it's not a disney movie apart from the fact that it's heavily based on a, a disney ride yeah that makes me love this film even more knowing that it's based partly on the curse of the monkey island what a wonderful adaptation of that content <laughs> well did you know though and you maybe again you maybe did uh jungle cruise was one of the uh original rides that opened the day that D disneyland opened back in and now i've forgotten my dates was it 57 uh, 55 it was 55 55 and um and the ride itself was created um, with lots of different influences. And I think a couple of us have watched that whole um, behind the scenes of the Disney rides, right? This is where I got a lot of this information from. What is that on, William? Is that on Netflix? Uh, Disney Plus, I think. Disney Plus as well, it would be, wouldn't it? And um, and so it was interesting to me to realise that the Catherine Hepburn Humphrey Bogart film, The African Queen, from I think 1951, was a huge influence on the uh, Imagineers creating Jungle Cruise the way that they did. And so what's beautiful for me is that this Jungle Cruise film uh, harks back to the, the Hepburn-Bogart uh, relationship, um, the snappy punchy dialogue the snippy snippy he calls her pants she calls him skippy uh and that whole lovely trajectory from uh well i'm going to put up with you the way that you are and we'll see how this goes and now i don't trust you at all and now actually i'm in love with you and i thought that was all really just beautiful and charming and i love the costumes that clearly evoke african queen um and so i really loved uh those aspects of it and my point when i get to it is simply that having said yes yes jeffrey rush johnny depp fantastic actors leave them to it see what you get from it i actually really liked the both the scripted dialogue in uh jungle cruise because i really liked as i say the particularly katherine hepburn movies of uh the witty and the sharp and the cutting over one another um witty repartee but also the fact that they shot lots of different takes for different scenes and then chose the best quip from each of them so it's still constructed but at least it wasn't like put the camera on you know hit hit record let it play out and then take that whole thing as a scene do you know what i mean mm, yeah I yeah i love that i love that i didn't know i did not know that connection to the Catherine hepburn and and Bogart, and I see that so clearly in this film. I, I really appreciate the chemistry with these with these two, and Jack Whitehall and Jesse oh, Plemons. Amazing, were... Jesse Plemons, William MVP. Loved... Oh my gosh! So Jeremy William was sitting next to me during the screening, and every time Jesse Plemons came on screen, even before he had raised an eyebrow or opened his mouth, William started chuckling. <laughs> <laughs> And he, he was, was just he tremendous. Was brilliant! What a brilliant, um, what a brilliant. Again, he wasn't didn't take himself too seriously as a as a villain, and it made him <laughs> so fun. He was such a cheerful villain, and you know there was a, there's. I mean, I think nowadays there's some awkwardness around people adopting accents of people of you know nationalities that they don't belong to, and um and but Jesse Plemons playing essentially a Nazi. Yeah, um, proto-Nazi. Right, is kind of feels fine and forgivable. And just the, sort of the joke, even small jokes around him saying, how are you finding the jungle? And 
Whitehall uh, or McGregor being like, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're saying, you know, and I don't know, just absolutely just hilarious. And I thought Jack Whitehall was Christmas. I thought he was my MVP of that whole film, William, I have to say, just Mm. so funny. It was effectively his dad from that TV series he does where the dad is all out of out of (laughs) he's out of his comfort zone. Yes. Uh, What what it really impressed me was. you know, he's playing, he's a trope. We've seen that character in these sort of films, you know, the 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 stuffy British guy that wants to, or, you know, or sometimes it's the the valley girl, you know, American wants to bring all of her, his containers of clothes and mm. um, completely unrealistic to the realities of what they're going into. And and I sort of, I was thinking, why is he even on this trip? Like what, the, the motivation of this character doesn't make sense. He clearly doesn't want to be here. And then I thought there, um, you know, they introduced his uh, sort of his coming out storyline, I guess. Yes, it was. Um, yeah. And the allegiance of his sister and that, you know, even even, you know, through that, she stood by him. And so he'll stand by her with everything. And it I was, thought that was beautiful. It was a really impressive way of of giving his yeah. this character a motivation um, while still being, being able to have all of those silly tropes of him, you know, being terrorized by the panther, was it? Um <laughs> The leopard, yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, absolutely, absolutely. Now, there's yeah. some interesting stuff around Jack Whitehall's casting in the film because, as you've noted, you know, he's the he's apparently the first significant Disney character to actually be openly gay. And that coming out scene where he says, you know, uh, everybody ostracized me for who I loved um, is incredibly meaningful and powerful and an important, albeit subtle, uh, message for for youngsters growing up and watching Disney. But there has been some brouhaha around the fact that Jack Whitehall is not gay. And so I think inevitably there's there's been a little bit of um, uh, what's it called? Not flashback. What's the word I want? Backlash. Okay. So inevitably, there's been a little bit of backlash uh, around the casting of a non-gay character in a gay role, particularly playing him very Rupert Everett, who is gay, but that's not the point. But I mean, very sort of uh, very camp uh, and sort of uh, there was concern around his perpetuating stereotypes. And I think it's a real hard call because... Uh, in other quarters, gay actors have come out and said, well, actually, we don't only want to get gay parts the whole time. And, you know, you can't be um, sort of typecasting people in that regard either. So I think it's really challenging because I loved his character and I loved the little double, <laughs> the double entendres made me laugh so much. Where I, this, <laughs> this is, I just want to say, this is a really um, interesting point. I think on my reflection with this, mm. you've got two tensions going on. One is representation. So you've mm. got a situation where people of colour or um, trans people who, who have been underserved, underrepresented by Hollywood at one kind of tension point. Then you've got this other part, this other tension where I think audiences in general, we're obsessed with realism in cinema. And there's a misunderstanding sometimes that somebody is acting, which... Yeah. I know it sounds really obvious and potentially profound, but it's like... Potentially profound. I'm going to say It's like that Ian McCallum scene from Extras where he, he talks about what it takes to become Gandalf. It's like yeah. someone... Just... <laughs> um, no, I, I'm really glad you guys brought up Jack Whitehall because uh, to me, this is Disney taking a huge step in the right direction like they, they've tried this before right kind of taken taken these these little pot shots uh, almost at diversity for diversity's sake like, do, do you guys remember the beauty and the beast live action adaptation that god-awful film no i haven't seen it but i, I heard that there was a gay moment in it yes so, so josh Gad, uh, is it josh gad yes he plays lefou so gaston's uh, little lackey um, and I remember the the promotional materials before the film came out was all about he is Disney's first openly gay character, da 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 da, you know. And it, it turns out that he dances with a man for about two seconds in the final scene. And that was mm. it. That, that was it. That, that was what what the brouhaha was all about. Um, similarly in Star Wars, like Star Wars Episode Nine, the, the Star Wars first gay character, and it was like. A, a chaste little kiss between two women in the background, basically nameless characters like Rebel Communication Officer One and Rebel Communication Officer Two. Right. Um, 
<laughs> and like, Dear. and Disney were using this stuff as as selling points. Is like, oh, look at us! Aren't we open about this stuff? Mm. And it, it just comes off as really cynical and really quite awful, to be to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I think this is it's not still not quite there. Like a lot of the language is very very ambiguous when he talks about his coming out. And it's, as some people are brought out, you know, in countries like Singapore, you cut that scene and it would make not a lick of difference. That's true. Um, but at least it's there. And at least it feels like, like much more coherent and much more earned than the previous examples of the stuff. Like, you know, it, there's, there's all, always the, the notion and the accusations of queer baiting. But I, I, don't, I don't feel like this was queer baiting. Like it felt true to the character, which is awesome. Yeah, it was integral to the to to the why he was there and why he was there, uh, part of that mission. What I will say in response to the criticism of Jack Whitehall, a straight actor playing a gay character, you know, I think if white gay men were underserved by Hollywood, then there could be a case. But if you look at the history of Hollywood, I would <laughs> I would confidently say that white gay men have not been just had a disservice right. done to them. <laughs> sure. There might be some cases where there was prejudice and there might be instances where people are advised to keep their sexuality quiet. So, hey, happy to be challenged on that. But I think, you know, kind of saying that Jack Whitehall shouldn't be playing this character is, I would say, falling more on the camp of misunderstanding what film is about yeah. than an uh, issue of representation. I don't think it's an issue of representation. I think that's a really nice point. I like that a lot. And partly because I'm incredibly attached to him and the way he played the character. Do you know, I, I mean, I hate to say it, although I don't. Well, I kind of do. I thought to myself, oh, <laughs> I thought, oh, is Jack Whitehall gay? Maybe he is. And I Googled it. Uh, and, it and, you know, when you type in is Jack Whitehall and then a, a little thingy pops up, uh, you know what I mean? Like, is he dead or is he married and things like that? Like that gay was not actually on the top of that list um but um no he's not and anyway apparently he did his audition tape with his mother filling in as the rock uh and so she did all the lines from Dwayne Johnson's That's part amazing. of the script and they sent the audition <laughs> tape in and uh he says thanks to her he got the role anyway that's just a side thing but um cute so just uh staying on the Jack Whitehall train like this may be a little contentious with you guys, but I find that his chemistry with Emily Blunt and his chemistry with The Rock are both fantastic and way better than The Rock's chemistry with Emily Blunt. Uh, <gasps> I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I really liked how he interacted with his sister and how he interacted with the Skipper character, but I felt like the, the, the two romantic leads of the movie were stilted and odd and unnatural and i don't know uh what say you dear co-hosts what say you see i bought it and i was surprised because as much as i've admired um dwayne johnson for his particular set of skills in many areas he is not anybody i've ever thought of uh, as any sort of feeling or emotional character and certainly not you know he play, he's played the husband in San Andreas and a whole bunch of stuff and I've never felt a thing and in this and perhaps it's partly because I wish I had Emily Blunt's life and, and partly also because she I think could have chemistry with a with a I was about to say with a rock oh my gosh she though she could she could have chemistry with a bag of sticks or something oh, please but, say a rock I, a rock's just too good a pun not to she say she could have chemistry with a rock but I actually <laughs> really bought it between them William I really genuinely did and it was the first time that a I had thought oh I think I quite fancy Dwayne Johnson um or find him fanciable at least uh mm. and and it was able to see him as a legitimate um romantic lead and look I don't want to push it I don't want to push the envelope I'm not suggesting that he sort of goes out for more of those those parts but there's something about the nature perhaps it's the fantasy nature of jungle cruise i mean it's clearly not marriage story is it or any sort of like hard out drama <laughs> you know what i mean but but the witty as i keep banging on about the witty repartee that i so enjoyed i, I just i really liked it but i wonder how much of the work is actually being done by the beautifully lit face of emily blunt who I do think can can have a, a twinkle in her eye for anybody, you know. I think for me the chemistry was in the sheer charisma of the two leads. So I just just so love Emily Blunt and The Rock so much, and the, and they were fully 
living into those expectations in this film that any chemistry between them, um, I didn't notice it either way, William. So I didn't, I didn't, wasn't fully like, this is such a strong chemistry, but equally I didn't even think it was, I didn't consider it wasn't working because they were just so dynamic on the okay. screen. And, and like, like Sarah said, I really like their quippiness and the, I mean, it's all tropes. I've, we've seen this story a hundred million times. Before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was not really too worried about that. I was just having fun seeing how they put these pieces together. Because for me, the the one moment, and I distinctly remember this in, at the movies, like the one moment where it just clicked for me was when, and, and this is in the, the, the trailer, when they swing on that vine and it, yes. it swings back and... And Emily Blunt's character says something along the lines of, like, just let go of me. That was a disaster. And I thought that was beautiful. And it's like, okay, I, I buy into it now. But um, but a lot of stuff before that and after him, you know, calling her pants. It just oh, I love kind of that. felt forced. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't, wasn't a huge fan. Like, when she was running on the rooftop and she fell through the roof and it's like, I can see what you're doing, but it's not really working for me. That's isn't it just so interesting though? It's just perspectives, isn't it? Hey, because the, you know this is so subjective, and it's weird how sometimes little things work and 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 don't work for others. I just think that's really fascinating. I thought the opening sequence with her running through the um, was it the museum? Is that where she was? I don't even. She was at the Royal Society of whatever they are. The sign passed too quickly, and then it, I think it might have been archaeologists. Um, it might not have, but no, yeah, she's she's at the Royal Society. You mean the bit where she steals the the arrowhead and and then gets flung out the window on the ladder and that sort of thing. Yeah, it, it could almost be exact. You could almost play it next to Pirates of the Caribbean Four, where Johnny Depp is uh, running around London. Um, or, or 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 alternatively, uh, the Mummy, nineteen ninety nine, like with Re Rachel Weisz in the library. Yes, mm, flashbacks Ooh. of that. Oh, we could have compared this to the Mummy. This is this was yeah. very Mummy esque. We also could have compared it to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Let's be honest. Do you know and what Romance in the Stone? Yeah. I also do you know what film I did think of, which we've we've talked about, and one day we will do this film was Apocalypse Now. <laughs> oh, <funny>. Wait, what? <laughs> Apocalypse Now. Oh, the, up river, the river, the jungle boat. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Never get off the boat, particularly with the um with the tiger in Apocalypse Now as well with the. <laughs> Some connections there. Let's just quickly think about the the chemistry between Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley. And William, you've already said that I think it was you who said you you weren't that interested. And I and I feel you. Do you know Kira was only seventeen when she made that film? Yeah. Did she do an incredible job against? Yeah. I mean, Orlando must only have been in his mid to late twenties, but but Johnny Depp's twenty years older than her at least, and obviously a powerhouse. So didn't she do a tremendous job? Because as whatever you think of Kira and the various bits of work she's done she really brought the pluck to that character and I so it's that, been yeah. I, I think that Karen Knightley is she does a really good job in these movies I think it's Orlando that's kind of stiff as a board um he he never really transcends uh the elf <laughs> the sort of emotionless elf from Lord of the Rings but I, I think Karen Knightley she she has a really good time in these movies and the sequels as well she particularly the second one she gets to fight and the third one she becomes the pirate king the or queen pirate king yeah, and I just she has a she has a lot of good a lot of good things that she gets to work with. And can I just say one of my uh, favorite characters in these movies is Penelope Cruz from the fourth one. No, <laughs> why why Jeremy do you like the fourth pirate so much? It is it is <laughs> not a good movie, sir. Is it? Oh, it's great. Is it Gary Marshall who did it? <laughs> um, it's it's it, Rob Marshall. Rob Marshall, that's right. Chicago. <laughs> Like uh, Jimmy, I actually like Pirates Five a heck of a lot more than Pirates Four. I, I thought the the final set piece of Pirates Five was really cool, and Pirates Four was kind of just playing the hits. Oh, speaking was, of the hits, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh! I have never been so excited as when <laughs> Jungle Cruise's Disney logo swept across the Chris the stage, swept across the screen at the beginning of the film, and it and Metallica's nothing else matters started to go ding 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 ding, <laughs> ding ding and i was just like what is this fresh heaven and then that moment just after the middle of the film when oh. dwayne johnson tells her the big flashback about um edgar ramirez character and the origin story do you know i've watched that twice now and i still couldn't tell you anything about the origin story because i'm listening so hard to that 
amazing <laughs> orchestration of Nothing Else Matters and just feeling so excited by it all. Did you both feel that or was that oh, just I, me? I, I felt you feel it, Sarah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you were very, very excited. Um, that was fun. That was like anachronistic in the right way. Like, it's mm. fun. And I didn't pick it up at all. Oh, you're not a Metallica fan, Jeremy. No, I'm not. I'm not, not a Metallica fan, but I don't know enough of their thing, their music to to be able to make a call on that. Oh. Hey, can we uh, can we talk about Edgar Edgar Ramirez and, and his Oh yeah, book? yeah. Why was he so horrifying? <laughs> you mean like scary? Yes, I, I, maybe this is just me as an adult, like kind of judging, you know, family movies. Uh, well, it is me as an adult judging family movies, but I. <laughs> I felt <laughs> genuinely put off. Like, okay, Pirates, Pirates 1 is shockingly violent in places. We, I've said that already. And, and the zombie pirates are really scary. But at no point in Pirates does a man, a snake man, get his face cut up horizontally and for his face to open up in two meaty flaps and for snakes to lunge out and bite another man in the face. And all of this is in camera. Like, Holy <laughs> heck, this is a scary, violent movie. It's true that. It makes me think of the Lone Ranger film that Gore Vibetsky oh. did that has, like, a scene where someone eats someone's heart or something, yeah. and it's like, oh. what the? <laughs> this is so full on. Was that Johnny Johnny Depp and Army Hammer? Yeah. yeah. Wow, how the 20, mightiest have fallen. Well, 2021's duo of the year. Um, wow. Yeah, oh, thank you so much for bringing up Lone Ranger, Jeremy, because I actually have notes on the Lone Ranger right here. Are you um, serious? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm dead serious. That movie is underrated. It is It is so messy and so slapdash, but kind of, you know, Disney's attempt of trying to recapture the magic of the, the first pirates. Um, and, and it doesn't work, but by gosh, the bits that do are like head and shoulders above any blockbuster filmmaking of that year. What was that? 2013, 2014 or, yeah. or now? Like, Sarah, have you seen the final train set piece in Lone Ranger? I, I don't even think I bothered to see that film. So let's okay. assume I haven't. And if I have, I'd for, I've forgotten. Uh, a, a YouTube clip will be coming your way, my friend. It Thank is, you. I, I have to say, I agree. So William. good. So good. William, I agree with you. I agree with everything you just said. It's messy, it's long, it's bloated, it's problematic. But my gosh, it was fun to watch. I didn't understand the the hate. And who's the female lead? She's um she's in the she's in the his dark materials adaptation. Is it Ruth Wilson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's also she plays um uh the mother in that um that uh, uh, Mary Poppins movie, um, uh, what's it called? Y- you know, the... Uh, um, Mary Poppins sorry, movie? Yeah, that, no, 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 the, uh, the, the Mary Poppins movie with, with Emma Thompson as... Um, ah, yes. Uh, oh, the good uh, one. Uh, yeah, Saving yeah. Mr. Banks. Saving Mr. Banks, yes. Oh, so the she, bad one, she right. plays... Oh, no, Saving Mr. Banks is the good one. I hated Mary Poppins Returns. That's on record. Uh, I love them both. <laughs> I, well, you love everybody, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, anyway, sorry. Um, yeah, she plays um, uh, Mr. Banks's, I guess, wife? I, I can't. No, 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 sorry. She, she plays Emma Thompson's mother in flashbacks and does a really good job. Right, right. Yeah. You know, I really enjoyed it. And that's another example of Gore Verbinski when he, he was given way too much money in that movie. But my gosh, he has, some, he has a lot of fun in that. Um, and I, I think I think it's it's worth the effort. It's definitely got issues. But yeah, and the two leads are not very nice in real life. <laughs> well, here's an interesting comparison. Did Were you aware that Gore Verbinski was coming, I think, fresh off the ring? You know, he did the, the remake of that amazing Japanese Ringu. I love right. so good. But fancy him going from the ring to Pirates of the Caribbean, ostensibly yeah. a family a family movie, albeit PG thirteen. Now the interesting thing is Jome Coletzera, um, who is the director of Jungle Cruise, this is very much his first um family friendly movie. Um he basically his career seems to be you know, gets to a fork in the road and one 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 path either says Liam Neeson action flicks <laughs> because he did the commuter run all night nonstop and unknown um, or horror films like House of Wax and Orphan and to some extent The Shallows. Do you remember that amazing Blake yeah. Lively? Stick Blake Lively in a bikini and a, and a really small life jacket on a rock and have a good time and pop a shark. 
uh, in the water around her. That was a bloody good film. So interesting that he, Colette Serra, I'm talking about now, is uh, has sort of, you know, trodden a similar sort of path and, and I think done a blooming good job. Yeah, I, I think Colette Serra, the his horror credentials really shine through. Again, the, um, the, the kind of goofy, you know, cursed conquistadors, uh, some of that stuff was genuinely like horrifying in a way I was not expecting. Mm. Do you know what make... else is interesting when you talk about the gruesomeness of the, of the film as well, um, William? Is the use of subtitles in that in, in the um, in Jungle Cruise? You know, because those conquistadors are speaking Spanish to one another, and um, and I'm pretty. I think I, I think I read there are a couple of scenes or a couple of moments that are not subtitled, and you just sort of figure it out um, what what's going on. But for the most part, they are. But I was thinking, golly, if you've got anyone who's like younger than six, say, I mean, I know that kids who are six can read, but it's still a bit tricky, isn't it? Sometimes mm. having to read subtitles. And I thought, well, that's interesting. It's clearly that and Jack Whitehall's double entendres. I think says that it's more for the uh, the adult audience. Oh my god, I laughed so much. I can't. I don't think I should repeat those on air. But my gosh, he was funny. <laughs> anyway, I just have to say that Gorbavinsky, like I'm looking back at his his work. And we've talked about a cure for wellness before. That was his last film he's done. He hasn't done anything for a while. Yeah. Um, and Rango we've mentioned on this podcast. Oh, so good. Um, and also Mouse Hunt. I loved Mouse yeah. Hunt. So just alluding to, even though he did the Ring Sierra before that, he did one of the greatest family films of the 90s. That's a good point. And what, yeah. and that's a real change. That's a real mix of genres as well, isn't it? Mm. What you've just described. That's interesting. Mouse Hunt is incredible. And I think from both Mouse Hunt and The Ring, you can just see what an amazing visual, visual stylist Gorbinsky is. Like, Mouse Hunt is, is basically a Tim Burner movie that goes 110% towards German expressionism. Like, it's, it's all greys and silvers and, like, factory settings. It's Looney Tunes, except done by a very Tim Burton-esque eye. And I think throughout his movies, even the really crappy ones like Kill for Wellness, the visuals are something you cannot fault the man for. Like he he is God tier visualist. Um, I would say on the tier of someone like Steven Spielberg. It's just I, I wish he had scripts uh, which were way better than the ones that he either writes himself or that he gets. Yeah. All right. Final final thoughts. Uh, let's go to you, Sarah. What's your wrap up thoughts for our, our discussion today about these two films? I feel like Pirates of the Caribbean holds up. Um, so having, you know, having made the point earlier that it, it feels more languid, I don't think that's a disadvantage. I think it is just um, a sign of the times. Um, and I'm pleased that it holds up. I have to say, Jeremy, I am not champion at the bit to revisit two, three, four and five, all of which I'm sure I watched when they came out. And I, I believe you. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure there would be some beautiful moments in those, but I'm not that bothered. I was pleasantly thrilled um, with Jungle Cruise which is not to say that I particularly need there to be a Jungle Cruise 2. Um, sometimes I think, you know, you bottle that magic and then you just put that bottle on the shelf. Um, uh, ha, lol, someone try and tell that to Hollywood, I suppose. But, um, <laughs> you know, for me, Emily Blunt can do no wrong. Increasingly, Dwayne can do very little wrong. And uh, and my gosh, I think this is going to be, I think Jungle Cruise will be a huge trampoline for uh, Jack Whitehall. Um mm into uh, a whole lot more film roles and of course jesse plemons was just as good as we've come to expect and uh, so what a good time and as soon as it isn't expensive to re-watch it on disney plus because you know at the minute it's still like pay 40 dollars if you want to watch it for the next couple of months but as soon as it isn't you need to go back to the wonderful flashback just after the halfway point and re-watch the origin <laughs> story of the tree of life <laughs> having listened to and learned by heart metallica's Nothing else matters. Great. Thank you, Sarah. William, final words. All right. Um, so, yeah, Jungle Cruise, I, I, I thought it was all right. I, I wasn't uh, – one thing we haven't brought up were the, the special effects. Like, I wasn't a fan of the really digital heavy nature of the movie. Um, and Pirates has that as well, but Pirates just has so much more shot in camera. Like, the, the ships are real. A lot of the ocean is real. A lot of the Marvel movies as well, like, most of it is digital, and it just doesn't feel as good. Um, as I said before, I like some of the chemistry, didn't like some others. The score was okay, but kind of pales in comparison to that that amazing score for Pirates, which, do you guys know, uh, basically it was composed by upwards of 17 people? 
What Hans wow. Zimmer's score was it? Was it by his workshop of people? It's it's not. It's his workshop. Yeah. Mm. At the end of the day, Klaus Vidal got the you know the the credit, but it was the it was about seventeen people at the Hans Zimmer workshop that worked on the score, and Hans mm. Zimmer kind of took lead for the sequels. Uh, but that that score is just, in my opinion, one of the the last great like um, franchise you know movie scores that we just don't don't have nowadays. And so it was really, really fun revisiting Pirates 1. Um, a lot of it doesn't work as well as it used to, but what works, it's, it still works in spades. Excellent, William. And I'm going to jump right off what you said. I fully agree with you. The score from Pirates of the Caribbean is one of the greatest scores of all time, and I had never considered to think of it in terms of what has gone gone since then, what has happened since then. There hasn't been a great score like that. Well, perhaps Mad Max Fury Road, but it doesn't have the memorable theme like the Pirates of the Caribbean theme. And I particularly love in the third film, there's a scene where they're in a boat in Antarctica, I think, or somewhere with ice. And there's a beautiful love theme for William and, and Keira Knightley's character. Oh, William, I mixed the two together. William and um, Elizabeth, uh, their characters have a beautiful love theme that, that Hans Zimmer just, oh, it's just wonderful. It harks back to Lion King and some of the earlier scores that he's done um, but I, I really love Pirates of the Caribbean and I had a wonderful time in Jungle Cruise there is such a lack of uh, well at the moment films that you can go go to see at the cinema let alone popcorn films that are like this that don't rely on um, existing existing kind of products like I know this is based on a jungle on a ride, sorry, at, at Disneyland, but I would hazard, I would hazard to, <laughs> I don't think too many people are going to this movie because of the ride. Um, and I think it was really enjoyable to watch a film at the cinema that was made for the movies and made sense to watch in the cinema. Uh, can I just add one final thing about that ride comment? Um, I really enjoyed how both movies have plenty of nods to their respective rides. Like yes. Heaps yeah, I agree. and heaps and heaps of nods. Like they were really, really respectful and playfully so. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud or Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, which are also great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, and until then, Nohor mai!